I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday. Happy, uh, what is this, Leap Forward Monday? What? It's the day after, gosh darn, Daylight Savings Time that this gets released. Shut up. That's this weekend? Everybody's going to be tired as fuck. Why? Why? (laughs) You seem so concerned. I really am. Like, this is is the first time it's been told. I feel like every year it happens earlier and earlier. I don't I don't understand the concept of the time change in the first place. And then I feel like the timing of when the time change happens is so arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, mm, let's just pick a weekend. How about this one? <laughs> well, it's this weekend. It's March 14. So the Monday after the time change is always just fucking miserable. I'm so glad you told me. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter though, because we have a snowstorm of like apocalyptic proportions coming towards us that maybe it doesn't really matter. Well, I don't think you've seen the latest projections though. <gasps> oh, it went down? Yeah. Wah, so wah. we're recording this midday on Friday, March 12. As of yesterday, we were looking at four to five feet. Today, it's like one to one and a half. Oh, really? It dropped yeah. that much? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It's still a crapshoot. It could be like a light dusting or it could still be four feet. I mean, really, who knows? I know. Well, either way, we're planning to just like hunker down. So I was hearing on social media last night that uh, grocery stores felt like the first week of the pandemic again. Yeah. Just everything gone, except this time you could actually find toilet paper. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've just heard lines going, wrapping all the way around to the back of the store. Oh, my God. I know. You would think, I mean, we live in Colorado. You'd think that we'd, we, we'd be like, no biggie, you know, Br- <laughs> bring it. We got this. <laughs> I think the polar vortex was worse. I mean... It was for me because our boiler couldn't keep up with it. So it was like 50 degrees in my house. So I don't mind all the snow as long as it doesn't drop to negative 15 degrees at the same time. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have the kind of temperature decline. And our listeners out of state will make sure to update you on the next episode, which we record on Monday after the storm. There you go. So, Brittany, we just recorded our gala mini-sode. We are now re-recording this episode in full disclosure to our listeners. We attempted to record this two weeks ago, and it just did not meet our quality standards. This has only happened one other time. Yes. um, And Brittany would also like to release this to our special listener uh, Patreon group. So, once again, giving you the shit. Yeah, I feel like if you become a member, you get to hear the shitty episodes that nobody else gets to hear. (laughs) And then you can make fun of us or say, thank God you didn't publish that for everyone to hear because that was complete, utter horse crap. (laughs) 
what I told Brittany when I called her to say, hey, I think we need to re-record this was the initial recording was both not insightful and mostly just us processing our own trauma from the last year of a pandemic. Well, it was therapeutic. <laughs> That's what's important. I felt better afterwards. <laughs> but no valuable information was given for our listeners. No. So here we are re-recording, uh, which gives us also an opportunity to say, Brittany, four days post-gala, how's your self-care going? Fantastic. You're feeling good. I'm feeling great. I'm in great health. I've been sleeping. I've been working out. I've been eating well. I haven't been, I mean, I just, again, it's night and day. The experience of a virtual gala versus an in-person one is night and day because last year this time, I was so sick, so exhausted, utterly tired. I mean, like all my reserves depleted. It took me a couple weeks to bounce back. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to you. go. I'm ready to go. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. The other exciting thing that we didn't get to cover much this week since you've been busy, my blind box arrived. <gasps> That's right. I feel like you and I have not debriefed that well enough at all. I just got a text that said some of the things inside. You know, overall, I would give it a B plus. Overall, I just said overall, golly. Um, had a nice variety of items. Some things that I'm really excited about, like some of those nice thin, uh, like velvet covered hangers. I've been wanting some of those anyway. Um, some nice organizational pieces. I love a good bin all day. Yeah. A um, couple of randos, like a tiny square cast iron skillet. Oh, that's so nice, though. You could what, give that to Gabriel. What, what would he use it for? He loves cast iron. But it's so tiny. Mm. We have a ton of cast iron, too, but like you couldn't even fit a piece of bread in it. Oh, it's that tiny? It's, it's like three inches by three inches. Yeah, what are you putting in that? A single egg? <laughs> one one piece of cornbread? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, also got like a shower curtain, which was funny because it came the same day that my husband had ordered a new shower curtain from himself. Oh. And he was really upset that he now had this new one that he had just used. And I j- just got this one essentially for free. And I was like... It's got, like, flowers and shit on it. I don't think it's your aesthetic, but the freeness of it for him was too enticing. Yeah. Hey, shower curtains never go bad. Just hang on to that. You'll need another one someday. That's what I said. I said put it in the closet. You can use it next round. Yeah. So do you think that the contents are worth more than what you paid for the box? They're definitely worth more. Would I have spent this much money on this stuff? Probably not, just because not all of it works for me. Yeah. Like the tiny skillet. I I have no idea what to do with that. But there were other pieces that will become gifts. One of them's already got your name on it. Awesome. Can't wait. And some things I'll totally use. I got some really nice hearth and home um, blankets. You know, the Magnolia Farms folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, all in all, a good experience. Did you film the unboxing? I did. Yes! Uh, Yes! All right. So I didn't miss out. I get to watch it. 
And those who follow us on social media might get to see some clips in the coming weeks. Uh, Make sure you're on our Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. That's that's so worth it right there. <laughs> so today, our big topic. That we're redoing. That we are re-recording. <laughs> that will be probably more relevant. <laughs> is our our year on from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I actually listened to both our coronavirus mini-sode that we recorded right as everything was starting last year, and then our coronavirus funding episode, and uh, there were a few really hilarious moments, um, like had me cackling kind of hilarious, just because of what we know now. Um, and I, before we get into it, I want to say we've lost over half a million people in the U.S. to this pandemic. Yeah. We are not taking the pandemic in and of itself lightly. I I have lost people. It's been really hard in a lot of ways. And part of the coping is also finding some of the humor (laughs) that we've gotten through. So please know that we are not being irreverent to the the folks that have passed on whatsoever. Um, The one piece, though, that got me really laughing was we record this. It was a week and a half in from like everything going and I was like, I am so mentally exhausted. I can't do this. <laughs> 52 weeks later, still there. Well, now I haven't read it, but now I keep seeing this post of people on Facebook of like how late stage pandemic is causing real like long-term mental effects on people. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I want to start off with just like a timeline because I I was having trouble just like even keeping all the dates straight of when things happened. So we record that mini-sode on 3-20, which was a Friday. It was the day that schools started closing. Oh, okay. So it was the the night before, right, that like everything, I think, at least for me, started to feel real. Yeah. Um, I was in a board retreat that I was facilitating and people's phones just started buzzing, beeping. And it was like, oh, my God, everything's closing. What do we do with our kids? Do we go to work, et cetera? So that was on the 20th. That was our last time we recorded in person, besides the one in my garage. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Last time we were in studio together. And that's, I mean, it was probably about then that we're like, how the hell are we going to do this? Well, then the stay-at-home orders came the week after. Because, again, like, we we knew so little. We were so dumb. (laughs) Naive little pandemic babies like even in that episode we're like it's fine we're socially distanced in our tiny recording studio how how right (laughs) that that means nothing right um but then yeah the next week the stay-at-home order went into effect 325 so five days after that recording um and that was the day that i like ran across town with the recording equipment to drop off yep do you remember that weekend and just how eerie it was like no cars on the road it felt like the apocalypse. Yes, absolutely. Between, like, in that five-day period, that was also when Denver tried to close down liquor stores and dispensaries. And dispensaries. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, not nah, just kidding, those are essential. <laughs> After there were lines around the block. Yes. <laughs> two of our friends and listeners to the pod, hopefully they'll hear this part, I remember them sending me a photo of them with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Walking down to the liquor store to load up. That's hysterical. I think we did the same thing. We went to the liquor store and spent like over $300 or something 
absolutely absurd on alcohol because we're like, this is going to last us whoever knows how long. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That I mean, that whole period of time is just kind of surreal looking back at it. And again, we knew so little. We were still saying like on that episode, you said we're going to start working from home um, in line with the school district. So at least until April 23rd. I mean, you know, it's probably best we didn't know. Yeah. Because there's no way my mind would have been able to comprehend the truth. Oh, my God. No. Absolutely not. I mean, we were taking it day by day. And there's something Mm -hmm. almost kind of freeing about that. I mean, it's scary as all get out, but... It really was like, let's just focus on the next day and then the next day and then the next day because any long-term planning went out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the one thing that I really love about social media besides connecting and yada yada is the memories that pop up. Mm -hmm. Like I found um, a memory this past week of me calling out to funders like, keep your grants going Donors keep giving, do not pull back. Your organizations need it now more than ever. Um, and it ended up being one of the biggest philanthropic years on record. So, I mean, I, I was responsible for that. So that's great. Yeah. Thank uh-huh. you so much, Nia, for that. It's mm-hmm. made a world of difference in philanthropy. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Um, at that time, we also had three episodes banked. So our next real recording wasn't until in April. We released an episode April 13, which was our, like, coronavirus funding episode. Interesting. Yeah, because that was back during the time where we would record two episodes a week and just kind of bank them for future rollout. But then we realized the world is changing so quickly every week that some of this stuff that we had been talking about isn't relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we really started – recording for that same week yeah the other really amazing prediction that we got right i think is uh we predicted the downfall of dress pants (laughs) we did yeah (laughs) we were like three weeks in yoga pants all the way (laughs) that's hysterical (laughs) totally yeah so anyway i thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk through some of the things that we were starting to see come out from funders especially and what it's looking like now a year later. Um, again, I mean, everything at that point was so, it was both needing to be massively adaptive, right? We, we were looking to funders to really alter what they were doing, both in their normal processes, but also in terms of getting new money out the door. Um, and we were also, I think, just starting to see um, – some of the issues that we've been talking about for years, but just exacerbated immensely because of the stay-at-home orders especially. Yeah, and I also, when I think about it, those early days, it was about immediate funding too, right? So yep. there was, I remember calling out specifically, let's think of these organizations that are on the front of the front line, right? Yep. That are being impacted first and that impact is so great that they really need us to step up. And um, I remember even talking about other organizations, how we thought it was so powerful of them, whose mission was 
important, but not maybe the most relevant in that moment Mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, we're good, help these other organizations. And and that has now shifted into now there's like these long-term gaps yeah. of profit loss or of revenue loss, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and we're seeing that especially in the organizations that have some sort of earned revenue. That couldn't happen. Our right. arts organizations, our oh, camps. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, at the beginning, we're not thinking about the arts. We were thinking about food banks and, you know, that sort of thing. And then now you're like, okay, let's go back and look at the organizations who had their, their revenue cut from the beginning and have not been able to regain it this whole time. Yeah. Well, because I think, like you were saying, too, we were we knew so little it was like, okay, so DCPA has to stop performances for the next month. But I'm I'm still going to Lion King in July. <laughs> and here it is a year later and nothing is reopened yet. Oh, I know. Oh, gosh. And it's <laughs> – I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about how we just – kept pushing it out a few months and a few months and a few months right oh but surely by the summer it'll be surely by the fall well you know and now every time people are like you know maybe we could i'm like no 2022 2023 yep totally we've curbed our expectations that's for sure yeah so talking about funders i feel like in broad strokes we've seen amazing progress yeah And there are still some totally lagging behind. We talked about in that episode a year ago, funders who were still requiring like wet signatures or hard copies delivered Mm -hmm. and how hard that was. Like, um, I know at the time we were talking about the the one that wanted copies. Well, everybody's at home. You're on fucking inkjet printers, printing out 100 pages, driving to another town to deliver them, not even sure that the bank that houses the fund will be open to accept them yep well in case anybody's wondering it's all the same (laughs) yeah they didn't change that that. (laughs) i was just gonna say that yeah they're still asking for the same stuff one year later yeah we also talked about in that episode um some organ or some funders who were pausing giving because they were like we need to reevaluate entirely my sense is that most of them figured their shit out, <laughs> came back and started funding again. Uh, but there were a couple who didn't, who just entirely paused funding in 2020 because they they couldn't figure out what their priorities were. And I got to say, that's shameful. It is. Um, yeah. And I know that there were also some funders who who came in and gave funding, gave immediate funding, which was great. And then we're like, but now we're going to change everything. And so you're no longer, um, you no longer qualify for funding. And so they right. kind of just gave this one-time gift, which, you know, you want to say, well, it's better than nothing. But it's like the pandemic's still here. Like we're, we're yeah. still floundering, you know. Yeah. So how can you not see that like sustained funding would be helpful? Right. Um. I have some data for us. Let's get it. Um, So this is from Candid, um, which many of you will know runs GuideStar. Um, So they they got um, 
together a bunch of information on COVID-specific funding in 2020. Um, so I, I, based on some of the stats, my guess is it's both COVID and like racial justice combined, given that those things happen concurrently. Um, but they show $20.8 billion, with a B like boy, given in grants to organizations across the world. This is international funding for COVID. Um, that $20.8 billion is made up of 1,300 some funders. Wow. I know. Pretty impressive. Um, their top five funders, again, in COVID-specific funding, Mackenzie Scott, we knew that one. Yep. Google. Okay. Jack Dorsey, Twitter square guy. Yep. ByteDance. Who's that? Do you know that? who ByteDance is? No. TikTok. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the Bill and M- Melinda Gates Foundation. Is fifth? Yep. Interesting. That's surprising. Yeah. And then they also had the top five recipients. And this was really fascinating to me. Three of them are just kind of like unspecified COVID response funds. Um, one of them, though, is Start Small LLC, which is actually Jack Dorsey's way to distribute funds. So he, he put a billion dollars into Start Small, but it actually only distributed $358 million. Less than half of that billion. Wow. Okay. So that that number from Canada, that initial $20 billion, makes me feel really less happy about it when I see that. Right, right. If one of the top five funders, their donation actually was less than half distributed, what does that mean? Right. And then the other direct organization in that top five was Feeding America, which received $157 million. That one seems legit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wonder what their plans are for this year. Yeah, right? Right, because again, to go back, we have that that immediate response funding, right, that happens with a lot of natural disasters, this being the largest we've ever seen and have ever encountered, and one that's the effects of it are lasting. I mean, I don't even think we've seen the effects of it. I mean, just to think about, I saw the jobs report come out yesterday, and um, – it was something like 275,000 jobs were lost in January alone from women. 275,000 women left the workforce in January alone compared to 71,000 men. See? So it's affecting women over three times as much. They're the ones, unfortunately, that are having to carry that burden of how do I manage working and dealing with, you know, child care and the loss of child care. And I just think that the effects of that we won't even see for, you know, another six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And again, it'll be our nonprofit partners who are helping to fill in that gap and support these families um, who are struggling. And so I hope that this boon of giving that happened in 2020 that it continues for a while because we talk all we always talk about how that you know multi-year giving is really what makes the greatest impact yep so i want to go back to another thing we said in that initial podcast which was concerns about reporting some funders were starting to come forward and say 
don't worry about what you put in your application. We know things are going to change. Just keep doing the work or take our program-specific grant, shift it to gen ops, you know, go, yeah. go, go. They were unrestricting their funding. Yeah. Did that continue to play out for the last the rest of the 12 months that we've been in this pandemic? Do you have, have any you data it? that? Or are you asking me? I'm asking you anecdotally. I don't have any data. You know, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't it, think so either. It happened at the beginning, and I'm trying to think also of just, you know, kind of our funding year. So we did have kind of our biggest funders in that first part of the year, and they were the ones that came back and unrestricted it. Um, but no, that has been a still continues to be, I know personally, a huge headache for us in the sense of not only do they want reporting on it, but um, that reporting is so much harder because it's not apples to apples, right? Like right. We, we changed our service delivery mid-year, and obviously, like depending on what your services are, maybe it's gone up quite a bit, or maybe it went down, and um, and then I just we just got a funder who I thought this was interesting. I have not told you this yet. Who we asked for x amount it was above what we had asked the year before and they said you know what we will give you what we gave you last year no matter what and we will but if by mid-year you can show an increase in services offered we will give you what you asked for wow yeah i've never heard of that i've never heard of that huh so it's like this baseline you get but then you got to demonstrate over the next six months that you have increased your services. And which is interesting because, um, you know, without getting into specifics, because I don't think it's really necessary. But for us, like our, what's keeping us from being able to provide the services is this health crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot that's out of our control, you right, know, right. and I kind of get what they're saying, and I'm kind of like, Anne, is this really the year to be putting stress on nonprofits to demonstrate something more? Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with clients who just like even in the early months, again, because we were so naive, it was like, okay, yeah, by mid-year 2020, we'll be back up and running. We'll be fully at, you know, our prior capacity. Right. Not realizing that (laughs) – we were a year out potentially from something like that. And so even then they're writing grants that we, you know, later discover they can't fulfill. Um, or I had a client recently, they actually wrote the grant pre-pandemic, like December 2019. So really before we knew anything at all, the funder didn't actually award the grant until like April, May. And the organization couldn't implement parts of the program that they said they were going to. Sure. And the funder is about to pull all of it. Stop it. No, they have to like go and defend it in a couple months if they don't. Stop it. That is such bullshit. Yeah. That infuriates me. Yeah. Come on. You know, I know we're like vacillating back and forth between the good, the bad, the good, the bad, the good, the bad. That's what we do here. I know. Um, I do think... You know, our, we talk about it again all the time of the importance of unrestricting funding. And I do feel like that message was heard louder than it ever has been to both funders and donors. Mm-hmm. And that's also something that I hope continues. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, we said this a million times last year, but I'm going to say it again. We are not going to know the full extent of the impact of the pandemic, the breadth of giving that has changed, the impact on the sector. Like, all of those are still huge question marks. So if you're a funder out there, don't pull back. Don't add additional hoops. Make it easy. Pretend like this is March 2020. We're all in lockdown. It feels like the sky is falling because it still is. It really still is. And look, this is such a great example, okay, where I work, we have three main programs. And one of them, two of them really took a big hit this year and not even a hit so much in their school programs and schools were closed and kids were at home. And these yeah. were programs where you're, we were supposed to go into schools. We couldn't do it, right? But then because of what happened this year in the racial justice space, we created an entirely new fourth program. Right. And so when we're applying to the funders that usually fund these two programs that have not been thriving due to circumstances out of our control, but they don't see all this new stuff that we have done, you know, in response to current events and what's happening when they pull our funding for the programs that will need to be built up as schools, Mm -hmm. you know, reopen back up, we're going to go back in there. It's hurting the whole program. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, I think we are always so quick as funders, even as donors, to silo off different parts of a Mm -hmm. nonprofit's work and not see how they're all interconnected. And when you take from one, you affect the whole. You get mad props, snaps for that. That right there. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's just, oh, I've got goosebumps and because and I'm like sweating profusely because it just fires me up and yeah. it, it just hurts organizations so much more and, and they don't get it. Yeah. Because we don't have this one output number as high as we said it was going to be. Well, and a year ago, you had recommended, actually, um, I think it was from a training you'd been in, that evaluation should be around adaptation anyway. Yes. Organizations that show that they can respond to whatever's going on. And every organization has had some level of adaptation in the last year. So if that was what we were actually being evaluated on, it would probably be a very different story than we had three less kids in our program because we're in a fucking pandemic. Right. Exactly. Well, in so much, these these grants that we're writing, if we're writing it for one specific program – it just leaves out all the other stuff. It's like it would how refreshing would it be for a funder to say, "Hey, we want to check in on this program that we have historically funded. What challenges have you seen and what else have you been doing this last year that we you think we should know about, you know, that to give us a better whole picture of how your organization has been affected." Yep. You got it right there. I know. That's my gift to philanthropy. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) As a perfect segue then into our rapid fire round. Oh. Are you ready? Yes. This is just for Brittany as a person. This has nothing to do with you or your job. Is this like Brene Brown when she does the like 10 question rapid fire at the end of her podcast? 
Sure, but it's four. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. We've been in a pandemic for a year. Yes. Best show or movie you have come across during that time? Oh, my God. There's so many. You can only pick one. <sighs> okay. Well, we have been binge watching Shameless. Ooh, that's a good one. Wait, it's- US or UK? What? There's a UK version? Oh, yeah, the U.S. one's based on the British version. Yeah, it's the U.S. version. I didn't even know that. But it is 10 seasons. It is taking a nosedive. We are in season nine. But we we have a history of, like, dropping out of shows with less than a season left and never finishing them. And so we are recommitting and we are getting through them. But I have never been more personally invested in the characters of a show like where I'm rooting them on and like just really want the best for them oh that's so sweet I I love that show so good it is so good I think they're recording their last season right now right I thought season 10 was the last one well I follow a few of them on social media and there's they're showing scenes from the set oh interesting okay I don't even know don't even know I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not even right. looking. Good, good call. Yeah. Okay. Um, a pandemic hobby, either one that you maintained or dropped soon after starting. Quilting. Quilting. Yes. So I finished my first three quilts during the pandemic. Beautiful. I know. I know. It's, um, I really enjoy it. And in fact, if we get snowed in this weekend, that's what I'm planning on doing. Lovely. Uh, hearkening back to our earlier episodes, uh, in April of 2020, you were taking up tarot. How did that go? Ah, yeah, that's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad I have my, um, my wild, like, (laughs) random, uh, like interests now recorded for all eternity um (laughs) and a friend will go back and re-listen and bring them up i it it fell flat it fell flat okay a lot of things around that i still very interested in it but um you can only take so many learning curves at one time so (laughs) tarot for the next pandemic yes yes well what's yours you got to answer them too uh pandemic hobby um well in our prior episode I had said that I was getting more into maker spaces so just using my hands to make things I ended up making over 100 masks you did I know between April and June um got really into embroidery pulled out some of my yarn and got back into some crocheting recently so I'm I'm maintaining that stuff that's awesome yeah we sound uh very crafty Maybe that's why our um, our merch could be some of our crafts. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, question three. Yes. Pandemic lifestyle change. Oh, ooh. Okay. Well, it's come full circle. So it started on a rapid decline about, you know, when I was dealing – with a crazy chaotic home life of kids, school, everything, then I stopped, like, showering. (laughs) (laughs) 
shaving, washing my hair, um, getting dressed nicely. And now I'm starting to pull myself back out of that. Mm-hmm. So taking a little bit more pride in my appearance and um, and because it makes me feel better. Like, really, yeah. that's just what it is. It's like if I can get up and um, I think I look nice and feel nice, then I'm in a better mood. So yeah. what about you? Oh, um, you know, this was something that happened early days and hasn't continued. But in the initial shutdown, they closed down the golf courses in town. And my husband and I would go and walk them. And they're they're gorgeous, which well, is part of why idea. I hate golf courses. It's all of this public space that gets closed down to the public. So just a few can fucking play golf on it. Um, but we have some beautiful, beautiful city-run spaces. And they're paved. And we would just go and do loops. It was so nice. Um, that That is no more. And you're bike riding. I did, yeah. I did pick up bike riding last summer. That was a, that was a big lifestyle change. And and you continue that. Yeah. And now I have an, uh, what you call it? Stationary bike. Thank you. Stationary bike indoors for the winter, and hopefully when spring comes, I'll be back on the bike outside again. Yeah, that's something that I did too this last year. I was going to a gym with my husband pre-pandemic, and then. When we shut down, I stopped going altogether. And then when they started opening up in limited capacities, he went back. But I've stayed at home and have really embraced the home workout, which for me, it's like, oh, my gosh, so nice that I can, you know, just be there, do it, be done, move on and not. Yeah. Um, so that's been I've never really been a home workout person before. Yeah, me neither. And I, I was a little worried, like, I was going to invest in this equipment, and then it was just going to get dusty. No, but, but I, you've been doing You've been consistent. Yeah. And I think now because, you know, like, initially, um, I was a member of a gym as well, and they started putting everything on virtual, and so you could join the classes via Zoom. And so those kind of interactions just became more accessible at home. Yes. Yes. I mean, because it used to be so solitary. Maybe you'd pull up a YouTube video or something, but that was it. And now... I work out with my trainer via Zoom a couple times a month. I'm in classes on Zoom. And so it even something as simple as signing up for a class just makes it that much more likely that I'm actually going to go down and do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay, last question. All right. Your favorite or most memorable pandemic-related donation that you made personally? Huh. Man, calling out my philanthropic giving, huh? Uh, or, or lack. You can choose how much you want to call yourself out. <laughs> or lack thereof. Um, no, I would say it would be at the place where I volunteer. Mm, Look at yeah. that little nod to <laughs> volunteers out there to give where you volunteer. <laughs> Um, who uh, is a like catalyst for other nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So I really, um, I feel like, stepped up my engagement in that space a little bit more than I had previously. <clears throat> had the privilege of being able to work with some nonprofits and help them through some tough times, which was so gratifying. And, um, and then also that's where I chose to up my giving. 
Nice. What about you? Oh, gosh. I, I made a lot of small donations throughout the pandemic and to a lot of new organizations that I'd never given to. Um, like there was one organization, I can't remember the name, but their whole purpose was around um, like ensuring black communities had access to medical support. And I was like, gosh, well, with the vaccine rollout, I think this is even before we had a vaccine. They're going to be important. I should probably give to them. But probably the most impactful donation for me was more because of the way the organization responded. Um, So this isn't also directly pandemic related, but also was anything not pandemic related in the last year? I know. Exactly. So after the election, you know, we saw what happened um, with Stacey Abrams and organizations like hers. And so over the holidays, I was just like, this, this is amazing what was able to happen. How can I continue to support that? Like I did postcard writing and stuff, but I just want to get more involved. And then out of nowhere, this organization popped up on my feed out of Tennessee trying to do the same thing. So they're doing advocacy against voter suppression activities. They're, um, what is the word I'm looking for? They're, they're organizing, they're deploying volunteers into communities to help with um, voter registration and just ensuring that communities are engaged in processes. And so anyway, I made a little donation there. My grandparents live in Tennessee as well. And so I thought that would be kind of a nice tie-in. And the executive director called me. Aww. And she was like, you're one of the first donors and you live in Colorado. Like, can you tell me what happened? And she and I had the most lovely, probably six minute conversation. But she she just like wanted to actually connect. It, it didn't feel formulaic or like she was reading a script of like, thank you so much for giving right. to my organization. She she was just genuinely interested how somebody from Colorado would donate to this little organization in Tennessee. And it made such a difference. And now I like follow them intently and I'm so excited to see what they're going to do. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. You know. You asking that question made me think um, about something else that I started doing this year, and that is every time I would see somebody post on Facebook that they were doing some sort of fundraiser for their birthday or something like that, I would give, even if Mm -hmm. it was like $10, and even if it was somebody that I haven't talked to since high school or for a long time, because I wanted to support them taking the initiative to do a fundraiser during this time. Totally. I love that. So that's our look back at the first year of the pandemic. Who knows what's to come? Dare we make any um, guesses on what the next year will bring? No, absolutely (laughs) not. We've got 98 million vaccinations that have been deployed in the U.S. That's providing a glimmer of hope and... The, the deaths have gone down. The hospitalizations have gone down. So I'm, I'm trying to stay optimistic and also not overly hopeful or putting timelines to anything. I know, though I, I'm putting a timeline that I would love to have the vaccine available for me, which is, would be for everybody. I'm in the last group um, by my birthday at the end of May. I, I mean, if you believe Biden, that'll happen. I know. So I'm putting it, I'm putting it out there along with him. That would be great. (laughs) 
Well, if you want to hear any other of our half-hearted predictions on anything, <laughs> follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Nonprofit Reframe or email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. And I just want to put a little plug in. Our next episode after this one will be from all of you. We have gotten some awesome emails with stories about fundraising. We are going to read some of them out. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. So please tune in next week for our all new episode. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. That's going to be so much fun. And keep them coming. Just because we got some for this episode doesn't mean we don't need more stories. So we would love to hear your half-hearted predictions as well. Let us know what you think is coming down the pike for 2021. Um, And, you know, what, what are you most remember from this last year we would love those nuggets too and don't forget that now is always the time I can stop (laughs) saying that right (laughs) I think that's when I started being like now's the time and it's like it's still the time it's always the time please if you have the capacity to do so support your local nonprofits Um, give and give generously thank you thanks folks We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.